G'day listeners, welcome to Bar Karate, the sailing podcast. My name's Jordan Spencer and it's that time of the week where we get to hang out with some really cool sailors, but of course I have to share the mic with my two idiot mates. This week our good friend Mr Brett Perry is literally getting on a plane as we speak, so we won't introduce him, but let's bring in the other bloke. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr. Mr Nick Bice, I didn't feel like crickets. Yeah, fair enough. I know. I know. We said before the show we wouldn't pay out on BP too much. Yeah. And I feel so much like we should. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but mate, no, he's been head down, bum up. Um, just launched the <laughs> second X two in San Francisco. Nothing meant from that particular comment. <laughs> but um, yeah, and he's uh, on a plane to Europe for the launch of the third X two. I think so he's coming he's to Oz actually. Well. He's going, oh, he's coming back home, then he's off again. Yeah, yeah. Copy that. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, but no, she's all shaping up. Middle of winter. Personally, uh, we're getting the SMB out this weekend just for a final little training run before sending it north for Hamilton Island race week, of which is the, um, what is it, the Offshore National Championships mm. being held in Hamilton Island. And the big news being... In 2000, February 2023, Port Lincoln Yacht Club, Centre of the Universe, will be hosting um, those uh, the national championships as well with the kickoff at the Cruising Yacht Club South Australia during its 50th year as part of its 50th anniversary. This is a bit self-indulgent on the plugs there, Bicey. <laughs> well, if I could only get paid for them, that would be the good thing. I'm just practising. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> No, no, all good, all good. Uh, yeah, more people going sailing, lots of different locations, and if people do want to go to Lincoln, they'll have an absolute ball. They'll absolutely have a ball. So we should actually get paid by Lincoln because we give it so many plugs. Mm. Mm. Anyway. The um, the Tikal Bar Karate Classic. Yeah, yeah. There we go. All right, anyway. good. And up. All right, so let, I'd like to get into our guest this week. Um, it's an interesting one for the listeners. If you've ever gone racing, um, this man is probably one of the most influential men in the world of sailing for the last 40 years, and likely you don't know who he is, is what I would suggest. There's plenty of people at the top of the, the sailing world that know exactly who he is, but this man has influenced all of your sailing for at least the last 40 years. So let's bring him to the show and then we can explain. Let's welcome Mr. David Tillett, how are you, my friend? Very good, guys. That's, uh, thank you for having me on. David Tillett, I am no less. Mm. Correct. Uh, Recently inducted into this um, the Sporting Hall of Fame, David. Yeah, yes, the South Australian Sporting Hall of Fame. It was a great honour. Um, the um, you know to be recognised by your own state. Uh, um, I'm the second uh, signing person in the South Australian Sports Hall of Fame. Um, the great Sir James Hardy is the first signing person, and uh, so it was a, a real honour to uh, to join him there. Mm, yeah, great man, uh, Sir James. We're going to get him on the show one day, I think, because uh, he has some great stories. Um, and, you know, he has a, a family company that's heavily involved in the, the wine industry. Um, and... David, before we get on to your sailing career, your, your work career has a lot of interest for both myself and Bicey because you are a, a lawyer, but predominantly focusing on the liquor and gaming area. So, <laughs> we're just. Matt, Matt is close to our heart. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> we've done a lot of work with uh, wineries and restaurants, hotels, and that sort of thing. But the, the law game has been very complementary with, uh, with what I do with the world sailing. 
and um, associated administration matters. So it's um, um, it's uh, they're very analogous. All right. Well, let, let's just just define. David Tillett, for those who have not heard the name, um, I, the way I've always introduced you, and I, I'm certain I'm wrong because it's sort of is the wrong side of the equation in reality. It's basically, you're responsible for the rules. You wrote the rules for world sailing, but in reality, you enforce the rules. Is the, the, probably the best way of saying it. Yeah, well, I was the um, the chairman of the Racing Rules Committee from uh, 2000 to 2012, so I had um, three years there, but. Um, uh, the way world sailing works is we've got a, a great um, racing rules committee with um, uh, a number of people from around the world, very experienced judges, um, and who are working with the sailors regularly. And um, it's it's very much a um, uh, a group effort. Uh, there's a working party with some uh, some great people. Uh, that's continued on um, after that with uh, with John Dewar and uh, now Anna Sanchez as chair. So you know we've. It's an area where we've had really good succession going through because, it, let's face it, it's the basis of our sport and um, without the rules, um, we're nothing. And um, as a lot of people say to me, you know, well, how, how does it sort of all work? You know, rules are just rules and that, but one's got to appreciate that we're, we're making rules that are effective from um, the optimists uh, right through to the biggest boats and... Um, uh, you know, windsurfers, um, kites. Um, Edgels? Yeah, <laughs> not sure about Edgels and uh, their um, problems. That's a, a whole uh, whole ball game in the uh, area. <laughs> it's my second favourite pastime, paying out on the Edgels at the moment, David. <laughs> You'd um, have plenty of uh, ammunition. <laughs> so it's, it's an area that's so diverse and um, it's, uh, it's great to have so many people involved who contribute to it. So before we get into exactly what you've done in the rules, let's sort of set the background so people know that you are a sailor, you're a world champion sailor in your own right. Um, that being said, you know, we know you, both Bice and I know you extremely well because, you know, anyone in South Australia knows the Tillets. Um, you and your brother, Chris, identical twins, um, phenomenal sailors, very hard to beat, um, and always there with a sly grin or a little bit of uh, gentle stirring behind your back as you're, or next to you as you're trying to sort of take you on. But you started out because of location, I guess, is the truth of it. You weren't a sailing family, were you? Uh, correct. It's, uh, look, yeah, Chris is my um, uh, twin brother. Um, we're identical, but uh, he's the good-looking one. So, um, <laughs> uh, um, we lived on the seafront at Glenelg. Um, my father was a, uh, a champion racing car driver. Um, he actually won the Australian Grand Prix in 1951 wow. in an MPTC. And uh, my mother decided that um, looking out at the boats out on the water and that, she didn't want her dear little twins to be um, going down the car racing uh, uh, direction because that was much too dangerous. And so I uh, thought, well, um, you know, let's uh, let's get these guys out on the water at, um, at Glenelg. Um, you'd see them on the paddle and ungulate the boats. Um, don't worry about the fact that there's uh, sharks out there and so forth. That's not dangerous. It's um, <laughs> So uh, down we went and um, um, the rest is history. So that's how we got involved in it. And quite ironic, you just mentioned sharks and you're a lawyer as well, David. (laughs) (laughs) I won't go there. (laughs) Hey, um, and just to uh, go, what what was the first boat 
you stepped into? Oh. Uh, Hogfast Trainer, which uh, wouldn't be known to uh, to many of the um, the listeners. Um, a bit like a sabo um, uh, oh. or an optimist, but with a jib and a uh, bow sprit, um, two-person uh, boat. Um, and uh, it was only in South Australia that they sailed them. And um, we, had, mm. we used to have fleets of 70, 80 boats mm. at, the, uh, at our state championship, so they were extremely popular and um, an, an excellent training boat. They only died. Seven, and seven, 70 or 80 boats meant 150 kids yeah. out on the water, yeah. and it's only, well, I, I, I think it's probably about 10 years, but it's probably 20 that we've, lost the whole fast trainer yeah out of yeah. sa waters and uh, which is a bit of a for those that sailed them it's always a bit of a tear in the tear in a glass eye that one indeed yeah that the other aspect with uh you know 150 odd kids or whatever is it also um, means about 250 300 parents to mm. um, cause all sorts of um uh, problems. Yeah, no. <laughs> it was good. I mean, uh, I think the Opti took them over basically, but the Holdies, I, was, I, was, I never sailed a Holdie because I was, I was born too big from day one, but the, um, the, 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 the crew never had uh, a cleat on the jib, did they? That was, you just held the jib, didn't you, and those things? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and likewise, when we went on to the International Cadets, we didn't have um, jam cleats or anything like that in those days. Is that right? Um, you just just had um, um, straight, um, you know, hold on to them, and um, you know, and that that I think was also useful training for um, for trimming the sails. Yeah. You know, uh, so kids are not just simply uh, cleaving it and sort of, you know, uh, here we go and off we go. It meant that you were in a position to be able to you know, trim the sails, you know, and uh, learn a lot more about it. So you rolled into the cadets, uh, obviously, and dominated pretty much in Australia. Um, the, at that time, though, there was no sort of – no one was travelling to world, so, you know, your domination in Australia really didn't have any sort of uh, basis or framework of where you were on a world level until – Correct, yeah. Mm, it made it um, difficult. In 1962, the Gleeson brothers, I think, went to uh, to England and um, uh, competed in the worlds, but after that it was um, many years and it was – the worlds were then awarded to um, Sandy Bay in Tasmania in 1969, and um, we uh, we sailed three years in the uh, the Holdies, and then went into the Cadets, got second in the Nationals in our first year, um, won the following year, and then we had the worlds, and was always with the worlds in um, in mind, um, heading towards that at Sandy Bay. So um, yeah, it was. The very first race, um, the invitation race, the first practice race, and there were two of them. Um, uh, there's um, uh, boats from uh, mainly Europe um, lined up against the uh, the Aussies, and um, we had absolutely no idea who um, how anyone would go. And um, one of the um, the interesting um, competitors at that stage was uh, was Chris Law, who was um, mm, uh, a the top, Claw. Um, top sailor, yeah, and. Um, Sadly, um, departed, but um, he uh, um, often used to at uh, match racing events that I saw him subsequently that I was um, uh, umpiring at would um, uh, come up and say, how's the guy that uh, that beat me in the world championship? <laughs> and I'd say to him, well, you know, I've moved on and gone in uh, this direction, but you've done very well at sailing going forward. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> indeed, it's true. Like, And you, I know you're humbly stepping around uh, the results result there you you know you do admit you win but it wasn't uh, it wasn't a close run thing it was first 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 it was I think first four races were wins weren't they for you 
you know, very well informed. Yeah, we won the first four races, then thought, um, well, we've just got to get a couple of good results now and wrapped it up. So we uh, got won the uh, with the next two races. We got third in each, and um, then the final race when the pressure was off, uh, we won by about four minutes. So it was um, <laughs> no, very uh, very pleasing and. Um, we would love to have gone on and, um, you know, sailed the following year and defended the title in England. But um, back in those days, it was um, so much more difficult with travelling and uh, that we um, we did compete in the uh, the Nationals the following year and won, uh, won all seven races there. Um, and um, uh, Hicko um, was... Um, uh, got second to us in the Worlds and then he got second to us in the uh, Australians the following year. He went to England and um, I think he finished second in the Worlds that year uh, as well. But um, so, you know, it was sort of the start of um, Australia doing very well in cadets and it's mm. good to see that um, it's continued on since then. And, you know, they're a very popular training boat um, still in Australia. Yeah, well, they're, they're worlds are in Austra- the Worlds are in Australia, I think, at the end of this year. So, um, you're going to come out of uh, and take them on, David. <laughs> look, I'd, um, you know, it'd be nice to get down there and uh, have a look at it, but um, the timing's not going to be very good because I'll uh, I'll be chairman of the uh, the Sydney Hobart jury again, and um, so uh, it might be a bit a bit difficult, but uh, we'll see what we can do. Just reminding me, I'll mention that. Yeah. <laughs> just writing it down. Oh, just while Bice is <laughs> taking notes. Uh, uh, so, uh, David. Sailed with his brother Chris, um, and both natural-born skippers. I think is the best way to describe it. And I, I, from my understanding, I've, you know, I spent probably more time with Chris than yourself, David. But um, David steered, you crewed, you did tactics, he did speed or something, and then eventually you just you grew to a size where you worked out that you're two skippers and you had to go your separate ways. Yeah, it was effectively that we 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 used to alternate. I'd do the um, country metropolitan championships and uh, was successful in three of those as skipper with yeah. Chris Crewing. We used to swap around, but when we went to the cadet, the focus was on those world championships, yeah. and we realised that uh, effectively um, it wasn't going to work with swapping around. We had to be focused maximum on um, you know each doing our respective jobs as well as possible. So um, I was happy enough to crew for him. Um, and um, Christopher had uh, very good natural talent as a uh, helmsman and um, uh, I enjoyed calling the tactics while uh, he focused on the boat speed. Yeah. And I guess that sort of that split then became Chris went and focused to go down that Olympic path and, you know, he went in 84 and then one of the most controversial moments in Australian sailing in 88 uh, and then with Brett Young as crew, um, and you went down to this this path on the administration side, which in reality is that you officiated at so many events. You know, I think it's what six Olympics and eight America's Cups, and then an enormous amount of other events in in the sailing world. So that's sort of the story. Is that correct? Yeah, I after. Um after the international cadets, we went into five balls and uh, we got third in the nationals in our first year. But it uh, it was pretty obvious that um, with me crewing, um, I wasn't big enough uh, for a five ball. And so uh, he went his separate way, aiming, looking at the 74 worlds in the five balls. And uh, on from there, I'd gone to uni and uh, was focusing on uh, on doing law. And uh, that was going to be compatible with uh, with other directions that I was looking at, which was um, and where I was sort of a bit unusual from the 
where people are today is that I focus on both administration as well as um, the, uh, the race officiating. So um, I was the Australian Council member, for instance, on um, World Sailing from uh, 98 to 2017. Mm. And, uh, I still chair the World Sailing's Constitution Committee now, um, chair the Racing Rules Committee, as you mentioned. Um, I was on the Australian Yachting uh, Federation and then Australian Sailings Board from, um, uh, for around about 20 years, um, initially as a board member and then attending by virtue of my position with um, um, council member representing our uh, Pacific region, including Australia, New Zealand and the islands. How um, the, the whole sports admin side come on the radar, David? Was this, did it just become complementary due to doing law or it actually came before that? Uh, probably the first role that I would have had was a trustee of um, Glenelg Sailing Club as it mm. was in our Adelaide Sailing Club. So, um, and that was complementary to the law and um, um, I think it developed from there. I think there was an element also of um, um, when Chris was um, uh, not selected in 1988, it was around that time that I started representing South Australia on the um, uh, Australian Sailings Council um, or General Assembly. Um, and so, you know, it was sort of linked in a little bit, a uh, little bit there, but um, I just saw it as uh, perhaps complimentary. I, I was on... Mm. Uh, South Australia's um, um, board um, prior to doing that, so um, I just saw them as being complementary, and and I think that it's it works well because you by being a um, in the you know um, the administration side and the, that the people that you meet and connecting with the sport is very good, and you know, people like Yoren Peterson was um, former president of World Sailing. Uh, very similar. He was a um, um, a lawyer, America's Cup Olympic chair, um, and formerly vice president of World Sailing. So, uh, and then became president. So, you know, that's that, that sort of thing. I think does become complementary, but it's very time consuming. <laughs> Don't <laughs> we know that? <laughs> it's a sacrifice. The, um, the uh, uh, mentioning all those different committees and different areas and the different admin roles you've been in. You would have had several blazers in your cupboard <laughs> that are left over, not to mention uh, several track suits as well. Um, yes, I, um, I, I when I downsized from a 14-room house to an apartment uh, about four years ago, um, a number of them went off to the uh, Vinnies and so forth. It's, um, so, um, yeah, but I've still got a bit of wet weather gear there if you want to borrow some. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it, it was something we thought of, you know, it was like how many outfits you must have and of, you know, those, for for those sort of roles too, they always come up, they're not the sort of thing that you'd wear out afterwards. Yeah. You know, they've got, <laughs> they've got unique patterns and colours is all I'll say. Yeah, you don't wear them at a dinner party. No. <laughs> 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 it, 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 you must have, I just got this visual image of like a whole room full of them. Oh, you know? I, I can see red pants and like a an Australian gold blazer yeah. at the minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, all very, very colourful. Uh, some of them, I must say, they're excellent quality. Some of them, uh, <laughs> the quality perhaps um, not quite as uh, <laughs> what you don't want to keep. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, for thinking about the quality, yeah, I guess that depends how long they think you're going to wear them. But, uh, <laughs> one event. <laughs> one event, that's it. The, um, the, the thing that I guess one of the reasons we, we're sort of trying to get this is, one, because we really wanted to recognise everything that you've done, but also give some perspective. So, you know, one of the goals of Barkarati is to 
to develop sailing, you know, bring more people into sailing, make it bigger, better. And we got a lot of listeners uh, who are at different levels, obviously. And so one of the, the obvious questions is how do people become better at understanding the rules? What should people know? What should they do? Is there, you know, what are the critical things that someone should do when they go onto the race course and have to go to a protest? Sure. I think the first thing is is that there's some excellent productions around the place that uh, that people should read, um, and uh, both World Sailing put out and various books. Um, I remember starting off with um, Paul Elsnam explains um, Brian Willis's mm. uh, book. Um, there used to be a book then called Mary Perra, which was a uh, a more advanced book that unfortunately um, she's not with us anymore, and uh, there hasn't been any equivalent sort of publication since then because they're, they're not exactly bedtime reading for a lot of people. So, um, um, but there's those. I think the other thing is always talk to judges and um, other people. They're more than happy to um, help people and explain rules and that sort of thing. They enjoy discussions uh, on the rules and um, uh, that. I think for, uh, for people looking at getting into uh, uh, umpiring judging, um, a mentor is very helpful um, and, you know, people that they can always do to help them through um, and making contacts. Um, making contacts is really important. Um, we're at a disadvantage down under um, because there's so many events that occur um, in uh, the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, it's expensive for uh, organisers to um, pay for people to go there. Um, the um, first international judges um, umpire seminars that I went to, um, I paid for myself and paid to go to events um, to get into them. Um, the uh, first international event I did actually was in um, Western Australia, which was the World Maturation Championships in um, 1988. Um, um, and that was great meeting people like Brian Willis, Johan uh, Peterson, etc. So, you know, it's, it, there's a number of things that people can do, but um, never be afraid to, to talk to um, the judges and that and ask them to, to help you. It's, mm. it's interesting. When I, when I coach kids and we talk about rules, uh, I say to them, you know, the amount of rules you have to remember when you're actually on the course, is, it's only like 12 rules you know, 14 rules. It's not that many, it's not a lot of rules that you have to remember. The other thing is you must read the definitions and you must read the preamble in each, at before each section because that clarifies when which section applies. And just when you break it down like that and just show how little that you have to actually know, it's not onerous, is it? Our rules have been simplified. Yeah, people can get around the race course. That was one of the things when I came in as chairman of racing rules in 2000 that we worked on uh, uh, very much was simplifying um, them. And um, it's um, you know, people can go out sailing, as you say, with a, a pretty you know good knowledge from just a handful of rules. And um, that with protests, um, I discourage people getting involved in protests, um, but recognise that there are times that people, you know, need to. Otherwise, it'd be anarchy out there. And the first protest that my brother and I were ever involved in um, happened in the, the, our first Fireball Nationals. Mm. Um, so, you know, it was a, a long time before you know, we were there at all. And, um, but, you know... The, the rule book sets it out, the protest procedures and that sort of thing. But the, the biggest mistake so many people do is just go into a room without preparing, without thinking about it, right. about what the rules are, um, thinking about what their evidence is. 
um, what happened, um, seeing if there's any video around or whatever. Um, but most club racing, obviously, there won't be. But simply, you know, what happened here, what happened there, was I in the right? And if you weren't in the right, don't be afraid to say, no, I made a mistake and retire. Mm. Have you ever lost a protest, oh. David? <laughs> Having trouble remembering. <laughs> <laughs> um, Can I tell? Did, um, I want to tell a story. All right, go on. Yep. Okay. So, David, you might remember this. I'm. T- I certainly do. Um, back in the '90s, I think, when the Nolexes were a big thing um, and Australian championships were on the line, and you were steering a Nolex, um, I was sailing on one with. I think there was myself, Brett Young, and Sandy Higgins. Were crewing on an Olex, and we had an incident. Dynamic group. <laughs> yes, we had an incident at the start line with one D Tillett, and uh, we were certain we were in the right, and <laughs> you were certain you were in the right. Um, you should have heard the conversation on our boat. Oh, shit, are we going to beat this guy in the protest group? <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's get on with it and sail the boat and beat him on the, uh, <laughs> Race course, and then there won't be an issue. That's right. We did. We did some <laughs> you turns. Probably, you probably did too. <laughs> oh no, no, you were a fantastic sailor, mate. Don't don't go there. Don't try to talk yourself down. Too much humility. Um, just but- stay, just staying on the the role side a little bit. Obviously, a big um, transition is when we moved to onboard umpiring. Mm-hmm. Um, that was probably one of the most influential, well, biggest things that's happened in recent times. When exactly did that take place? In the uh, the mid to late 80s, um, there's a few people that were involved with it. Tom Eamon was one um, mm-hmm. uh, back then, but um, uh, there was a group, Ryan Willis was involved in that, and it was you know, all aimed at you know, the 87 America's Cup uh, in Perth had so much time spent in jury hearings. It wasn't productive from the point of view of the sailors. It wasn't productive from the point of view of the sport, TV. Um, people don't want to go watching a yacht race and so-and-so wins, but, oh, we'll let you know tomorrow after a four-hour hearing in the protest room um, uh, what the outcome is. Um, so everyone recognised that, you know, for that sort of thing and being led at that level, we needed to be heading down the track of um, um, on-the-water umpiring. And so then the world's in uh, 88 um, had on the water umpiring. Um, you know, it was pretty um, pretty basic in those days. Um, I remember the first umpiring seminar that I did in New Zealand and the uh, event there with uh, Brad, uh, Coots, Butterworth and all of those sort of guys. Um, they would, um, you know, we were umpiring on the top of uh, Swan 50 boats following them and um, mm. got a great view and that sort of thing, but not quite the same as these days with rubber ducks and then, of course, the electronics that they've gone to. Um, yeah. Uh, um, I was going to say, yeah, the production room umpiring, which exactly. we're seeing take place in the Sail GP specifically. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a fantastic innovation and development and that and more and more happened with the America's Cup. But it's not for everybody because we're not the, the grassroots sport. You know, mm. It's never going to be at that sort of um, nature and uh, so forth. But um, from the point of view of the TV and um, that, it's, uh, it's great. It's interesting that you, the word TV uh, has come up, David, because you've you've overseen that period where televisions become involved, you know, particularly at the Olympic level. So I'm, I know exactly where I'm going to go, but I'll phrase the question such that it, it leaves it open: Is that what are the big changes that TV has caused in our rules? 
Look, um, well, obviously, having to have, you know, the, the sport with, with TV, whereby you simply are looking at the um, uh, the racing and that, all very nice and so forth, but at the end of the day, Olympics and things like that, the TV-driven, um, we're seeing it more and more from the IOC um, and the IOC having more and more impact on the international federations on saying, you know, this has got to be driven for a younger age. And hence we saw the pressure concerning putting kites in, um, the, um, you know, the pressure against the fins. Um, to some people watching fins sail around a course and that, um, great, you know, one of the most physical boats, um, demanding boats, tactically, etc. Yep. But for a lot of people who perhaps aren't sailing oriented, um, looking at them, they see it as watching paint dry. So, you know, we can see more as we head towards Paris and so forth, there'll be a lot of influence with it. So, you know, our rules have to be reflecting um, the need for making decisions promptly um, so that people know what it is. And it's been an evolving process. One of the biggest ones would be the, the gold medal race as well. Sure, yeah, and I was very much involved in that. Mm. Um, when we first did the gold medal race and worked out the, uh, the rules and sat, so forth. Um, the first thing that happened was that um, somebody had uh, win the event before uh, the end of it and they wouldn't go out and sail. Mm. So uh, we thought, well, no, you can't have the, uh, the gold medalist not even being on the course. So we had to change the rules so that they had to sail, use their best endeavours, etc., um, and, you know, uh, sail around it. But look, a number of people would like to see this head towards a system whereby the gold medal race is simply whoever wins it um, gets the gold medal rather than accumulating your points forward. And that's a, um, a structural change that, uh, that could occur. So I, I could see it from a, um, a non-sailor's perspective. I mean, sailing itself is difficult to understand for starters. Obviously, for a non-sailor, then let's throw a few rules in there. Then let's call it a gold medal race and the person who comes forth gets the gold medal. Or last or second yeah, last. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Mm, yeah. It yeah. needs explaining by the um, uh, whoever's um, doing the commentary. And yeah, the commentators play a vital um, role. Exactly. Sure. But one of the, the great things I think is sailing's um, uh, TV coverage at the, uh, the, the recent Olympics has been really good mm. and won awards for that. And I think that's, um, you know, use of drones and various other things and that, um, you know, it, it's really good to watch. Um, so but we've got to recognise that that's the very top end of the sport. We've got, you know, 90% of the sports at a lot lower level, at club level and that, and without that club level support, we're not going anywhere. And so I think that's a, a fundamental foundation that, um, you know, participation is a key issue going forward. Mm. Participation is a key issue going forward. I love that, mate. Absolutely love it. Um, I'd like to get into some of the coolest things you've seen, you know, like because of your amazing time on the water. I remember I asked you this question a long, 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 long time ago, um, and I'm interested if you give me the same answer. You've been on the water seeing the best sailors in the world at Olympic level, at America's Cup level, at match racing, everything. Who's the best sailor you've seen sailing? Look, I probably give, probably gave you the answer, Torben Grail. You did, um, yeah, and uh, you know, absolutely exceptional. Some of the things that you could see him sailing through the fleet and that when um, you know ended up on the wrong side of a switch or so forth. But 
Having said that, and you know, I haven't seen anybody better than him, but your Ben Ainsley's um, uh, obviously fantastic. Um, you know, it's 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 hard comparing people in um, different boats in different eras and that sort of thing. But um, they they would be probably the two that I would um, uh, would single out. You now we've had some great Aussies and that sort of thing um, uh, there. Um, um, in recent times and so forth, but um, they're probably the two that I would um, would mention. Yeah, well, now, now it's time for my particular role, especially in this podcast, to ask the smart-ass <laughs> questions. And who's the biggest dickheads you've ever come across, David? Oh, um, you mean judges or sailors? Oh, either or. Look, <laughs> um... All right, I'll rephrase it. Who's the who's the ones yeah, I, that? I, I, don't... I, I find, and I've always found that these sailors have been incredibly respectful um, at the different events, and um, uh, we've had very little problems with uh, with them. Um, you know, and you've got to appreciate when you're making decisions and things like that, you can expect um, uh, situations where sailors are going to be, uh, you know, pissed off at your decision or whatever or disagree with it, and that's fine. Um, one example I can give with that is um, uh, an event, a race in New Zealand, um, um, in the New Zealand Match Racing Championships, I think it was, and in those boats in New Zealand then, we used to umpire in the back of the boat. So you'd have a wing umpire in the duck and uh, we'd actually be standing on the back of the boat. And uh, so we're right next to the, the skipper and the, the sailors and so forth and you're calling uh, things. And I had a race where um, there was um, uh, Coots and Butterworth against Peter Gilmore and they were, uh, were sailing up the um, uh, near the Royal New Zealand Yacht Squadron against the boundary there and um, there was water calls virtually, you know, every time they attacked and so forth. And um, so uh, we, um, we we had one and uh, um, uh, Coots and Butterworth weren't happy with the decision and um, so, you know, they started this banter between themselves. Um, oh, bloody umpires, it's, um, they've stuffed us again. It's, uh, can't get these calls right, they're going on. And you know, our instructions were is that the way you deal with that, you simply say, keep sailing. You know, they'd look around at you and say something like that again. So keep sailing. <laughs> you, don't, you don't get into any debate with them during the race. And afterwards, you sit down and talk about it and uh, that, and uh, it works fine. But, um, um, no, it's haven't had too many problems, let's just yeah. say. In the Olympics, um, you know, I often used to wear, particularly with coach boats, certain situations with sailors, um, may have breached certain of the, um, uh, the rules before the races, areas they shouldn't. I'd call them in and sit them down, um, usually bringing in their coaches and um, or the coaches coming in with their um, team managers and just simply say, you know, do you understand the rules? Do you understand, you know, the coach boat regulations and that? Explain it. Just say that. I don't want to see you here again. Um, off they go. No, no penalty um, for it. And you know, you, I never saw any of them again that would come in. Um, you know, they went away. I think they respected the fact that you know you were reasonable, made sure they understood the rules and that sort of thing. Um, so it all went well. I think that's one of the well, the great things about our sport. No matter what level, if it is the the Coots Butterworth level or all the way down to grassroots. I mean, we have a great sport with not many dickheads. Mm. <laughs> There's a couple to get around, but as a sport and as a population, it's uh, fantastic to be involved in. 
and the way that the way that you present that also, David, I think is uh, well respected by the competitors going forward and make some better sailors as well. You know, at the end of the day, you know, as, as I often say, we want the decisions um, made on the water and mm. um, not in the protest room, but recognising that the rules have to be respected and that there are situations that um, uh, that come in like that. Yeah, I- the, the umpire, encourage, the head umpire of the world encouraging people not to go to the protest room. Um, can I um, assume that that means we don't want to go into margarita time? Is, is that what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> it means we've all got better things to do. <laughs> you, you go to a protest room and what uh, competitors need to realise, and, and many of them do, um, is that, you know, the panel there are going to be listening to the evidence and it's only their decisions going to be made based on the evidence. And that's all they've got to go on. Sometimes, you know, they, particularly at the higher level, um, some umpires may have sent on the water. We might have video which assists, but that's at the end of the day what it um, what it really comes down to. Yep, we see um, in some real high pressure situations, some sailors just absolutely go to water. Has there been the situation also in an umpire's position oh. that they? Uh, by in a high pressure Olympics format, for example, that some decisions are you wouldn't agree with. Oh, there's there's decisions that we see that you know we don't agree with, and there's, we have our debriefs. Competitors come in, and I always encourage and was always happy to admit when you were wrong. And um, you know that's uh, that happens from time to time. Um, you know, no one's going to say just because an umpire makes a decision or a judge or whatever. Um, you know, it's correct and. Um, um, you know, I've done a lot of appeals over protest hearings um, um, before. I remember doing one for, uh, for Mark Salisbury and um, Nick Patterson over the 505 um, Nationals at Lake Macquarie years ago where the protest committee, um, uh, I thought, clearly heard and we were able to appeal that to the New South Wales and uh, appeals body and they won the Nationals as a result of that. So mm. these things uh, that right. happen and um, you know, there's different interpretations. But um, you know, sailors, you know, sailors lose it on the course and that. You know, there was a famous one with um, Ben Ainsley in um, 2012, <laughs> yep. I think it was, in uh, in Perth, which Perth. I, I wasn't officiating at that event, but uh, but I was there at the time and um, uh, saw it and um, did have a bit of uh, bit of involvement after that, uh, helping out um, resolve that. Mm. Mm, that that would have been a one. super tricky one. <laughs> Lucky we weren't recording Barkarati back then. <laughs> <laughs> well, have yeah, you had? I, I saw what happened at the time, and um, I understood completely why Ben lost it and so forth. But um, you know, he overstepped the mark, and um, he was the first one that um, that recognised that that uh, that he had. Um, you know, um, you know, is. You've got to appreciate, which you guys, I know, do the intensity that these guys uh, are racing at and, um, you know, how important it is to them and that. But um, uh, these things can happen. Yeah. I I had a a young lad I'd coached in some match racing and he was – he was getting to be very, very good. He went on to be world champion and um, he – he was having some intense times with umpires and I think the umpires found the pressure he put on them a lot and he was getting some calls that he were upsetting him and, uh, you know, he came to me and he's going, what do I do, what do I do? And I said, well, you've got you've to manage the umpires as well as your, your uh, competitors, you know, like they, they're under pressure so you've got to understand their situation. 
Have you considered the fact that you're out sailing everyone else and don't worry about even match racing everyone, just go and sail the boat down to the end of the course and you'll beat them and no need for worrying about the umpires. And yeah. so that was a simple thing, you know. You, you just got to calm people back down and understand it's just everyone doing their best out there. Mm, yeah. They don't call him super coach for nothing, <laughs> David. <laughs> I noticed he only mentioned one. Yeah, that's it, mate. I've got, I've got nothing else to do. <laughs> <laughs> we retired after that. That's it. Hey, Dave. And it was uh, all we've him. Men- we've mentioned some some fantastic sailors. How about boats? It would have come across many, many different boats in your time, both umpiring and part of world sailing. Are, are there some standouts? Look, I, I wouldn't say there's no such thing as a bad yacht. Um they all represent different interests in the sport. Um, like, I'm not a great windsurfer fan, but having said that, they're fantastic from the point of view of, um, you know, and I like the falling of the windsurfers and where they've got to now. I think that um, heading forward, um, uh, the equipment that we've got there is, you know, a different level. Um, you know, everyone... You know, you can look at a boat and say, what a tub that is, but the owner of it's really proud and mm. loves going out on it and um, enjoying themselves. So um, mm. I, it's such a diversified sport. I love some of the old, um, the big old boats and um, that, you know, the old wooden ones and so forth. Um, then we've got, of course, the, you know, the GPs, the, uh, the foiling boats um, these days. Um, you know, um, in one sense, I'm a bit of a traditionalist, but, um, you know, they look great. I thought watching the, the Chicago event um, from the weekend, there was some some great sailing on that. Um, um, you know, entertaining, and that's what our sport needs. I think for um, you know going forward, being attractive to um, you know the public to look at it, and the kids saying, "Oh, I'd like to try that one day." Yeah, yeah, it's something um, we've certainly found. Depending on the the age groups of the different people we speak to and what the significance of these, particularly the falling boat, speaking to the younger guys mm. and girls and what that means to them mm. as far as inspiration. Yeah. That's pretty massive. One of the biggest areas of the, the sport that's got a problem with is cost. And yep. mm. the cost involved in things like running a, a 49er campaign or a macro or something like this, it is just, you know, got unrealistic. And it's, you know, we had that in 2012 with the um, the women's match racing, which I strongly pushed to bring women's match racing into the Olympics. And I think that that was one of the highlight events, if not the highlight event, from the, uh, the London Olympics. Um, people up on the knoll there what, looking down um, and uh, the visibility and that sort of thing. But the cost to run a campaign um is why that they uh, they went went out, but I don't think it was so much there the the cost to run, but the way it was done. Um, they were supplied equipment, but you know some of these countries were having you know three, four, five boats that they were uh, were managing, you know, from the point of view of teams competing against each other. And um, um, I think you know in Australia we should have selected earlier, and um, that focused our costs more directly there. Um, heading forward, you know. Aussie sailors have got to have a, a 49er in Europe, a 49er in North America, one here. Um, yeah. Plus the cost, the the equipment, the uncertainty with the sales. You've got the knackered uh, cats. You know they've they're under pressure with um, the cost there. It's it's something that sports going to have to address. Interesting, isn't it? it it's a big. 
big impost, you know. I was going to say, because one thing the sport does do well, though, and I don't think it crosses into your world too much, is that if we look at the last Sydney Hobart, you know, we had an S&S 34 leading the fleet at one stage, you know, and obviously conditions were favourable, but the, the ability to put a boat like an S&S 34 or even – um, even more older boats against the modern 100-foot canning keeler sort of things. Yeah, that was great, and the age allowance and so yeah. forth I get. And that, no, it's uh, the Sydney Hobart's a um, uh, fantastic event like that and, um, you know, should be a bigger and better fleet this year and um, as we move on. Double-handed, yeah. mate. What do you think? Um, <laughs> look, um Provided the safety factors and that are all addressed and so forth, I think that's the, the key issue. Um, I think you can debate the question of whether or not they uh, they should be able to win the Tattersalls Cup. Um, theoretically, uh, you know, from a handicap point of view and that sort of thing, um, provided it's taken into account in the ratings and so forth, um, there's probably no reason that they, uh, that they shouldn't be in there. Um, it was a pretty controversial issue from the point of view of the uh, organising authority, um, uh, which I did some hearings in respect of previously. But, um, um, yeah, hey, they proved themselves in a pretty tough event last year. Um, the sailors got through, but... Um, you know, it needs to be monitored from a safety point of view. Mm. So, so did the TP52s, didn't they? Mm. Mm. Well, shall we just move straight into the TP52s, Dave? No. <laughs> 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 well, that, that, that case was, um, um, you know, all about, of course, who won the uh, the Tattersall's Cup. And it was about a straight safety issue, Um in many senses, the matter wasn't that difficult. Um, mm. Took a long time with evidence and that sort of thing on it, um, but you know the facts were simply there. Um, it's a you know th- a lot of those rules were introduced after the um, uh, the tragic city Hobart, and uh, it's pretty vital that one needs to be um, you know monitoring and having your boat set up such that you can um, hear any of these calls. So um, um, no, it was. Um, um, no, no. We had a very good panel for that. Um, um, I chaired it, as you know. We had John Dewar um, from England, who was the current uh, chairman of the um, uh, Olympic jury and the current chairman of the um, World Sailing Racing Rules Committee. Um, Rosie, who had been on the Olympic jury that year. Um, Russell Green, um, the uh, New Zealand um, Rules Advisor, international judge umpire from the past, number of Olympics, and uh, Jamie Sutherland, who's done a lot of City Hobart stuff. So, you know, it was no doubt with the panel as to what the uh, what the outcome was going to be. But we didn't want to have it such that the penalty was, um, you know, such that um, um, it would take away second. Um, you know, it was a it deserved a penalty, but it had to be sufficient to warrant the the offence. Mm. I mean, we we were watching from the sideline at that particular time, and it was quite clear to us also what the what the uh, outcome was going to be but it just did seem to drag on and a bit of an appeal and all sorts of stuff going on, but we won't go into that. We've had... Yeah, there was a quest yeah. for reopening that, that occurred on that the day, yeah. the following day and um, uh, that was regrettable. Um, the hearing, we, one of the important things is when you've got a hearing of that nature, you've always got to make sure that the, the competitors, particularly one affected, um, has every opportunity put into the panel uh, whatever they want to. And mm. uh, they, you know... 
had a lot of stuff that they wanted to wrap, a lot of explanation and so forth that they uh, they wanted to put to the uh, to put to the panel. Um, so um, no, um, that's why the hearing itself took a while. The reopening the following morning didn't take that long. Well, it could possibly be your next book, David, about all the trials and tribulations of mm. the Sydney to Hobart. But you do have one, but you are a, an acclaimed author. Can we say author? Well, it's a loose way. Or is it a bit of it? Jolly with a number of people, um, with, with their, well, other panel members in the America's Cup, we publish a book of decisions after, um, uh, and this now it's the arbitration panel um, that we have made. Um, the uh, the current one from um, the last America's Cup um, is pretty close to uh, to going to publication, uh, and it's going to incorporate a lot of material relating to some information, historic stuff that hasn't been in uh, in previous editions. Um, it's interesting that the one America's Cup that no one knows seen in public, the uh, the decisions that were um, were made by the arbitration panel was the uh, the 2016 one in Bermuda, um, which mm. none of the, the current crop except were involved with. But um, that was a decision by the um, the defender at the time, and that's their prerogative. Yeah. So, but I think it's regrettable. I much prefer total transparency and, um, you know, these things being available for people and we like to post them on the websites and that as soon as um, we make the decisions. Okay. New York Times bestseller list on its way, mate, um, uh, record Look, office. I, <laughs> Look, if, if you can, I'll send you an autograph copy. Okay. <laughs> That'd be unreal, <laughs> actually. I'd love that. Um, the question then sort of, you know, that Hobart Decisions a controversial one. We talked. We didn't talk about eighty eight, but we alluded to the eighty eight thing. In your role, what's probably one of the toughest sort of rulings that you've had to give where it's been really, really difficult decision? Are you allowed to talk about that sort of stuff? Oh yeah, it's um, happy to. It's um, there's two that come to mind. I suppose the um, uh, the first one, Beijing Olympics two thousand and eight, the forty nine class, um, and the incredible set of circumstances that uh, uh, that occurred there, um, the uh, the medal race, the uh, the Danes um, uh, there um, uh, breaking their mast uh, shortly prior to the start. Um, it's uh, I'll go on a bit if you like with yeah. this because there's a fair bit involved with mm, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but. Uh, Kept being towed ashore, um, the Croatians, I think it was from memory, saying, um, take our boat out. They hadn't made the top ten. Um, out they went with that boat. Um, so there was a number of um, rules that were then breached in respect of, uh, of that. Um, for instance, the, the gold um, on the sails wasn't there, um, the DN on the sail wasn't there, etc. The boat hadn't been measured before the um, medal race. A lot of these sort of things. Well, out they go. The conditions were horrific. It's um, uh, I've been out there for the fin cut before, and they were really, you know, very windy, rain, uh, wind against tide, etc. Um, and I think everybody capsized at some stage in the race. Um, the Danes crossed the starting line, I think, with um, about minute 57 or something like that after the starting signal. Um, they had a two-minute window, so they got in by a handful of seconds there. Um, they then sailed the race, etc. They finished. They got the, um, the gold medal, um, but... Um, there's all these issues. And so... They had, to, they had to finish in the top seven to get the gold. 
Correct, yeah. And I think they finished seventh from memory. Yep. Um, so, um, and I think I think it was the Aussies were uh, had the gold and um, uh, capsized a, a short distance from the finishing line and um, uh, that. But um, uh, so I then remember the that. Protest, yeah, but, um, the first protest hearing we had uh, involved whether or not the race should have been started at all, whether or not it breached regulations in respect of, of that, and by a hearing uh, in respect of that. Uh, we had all the competitors in and dealt with that, and we dismissed the hearing, uh, dismissed that uh, protest. We then went into the protest against um, the Danes relating to uh, to all of these. And the, the panel sat through to probably one o'clock, I think, um, um, in respect of that. It was um, uh, me, John Dore, Joshua Hofland, um, the late Marianne Middleton, um, and uh, Taka Watani, as I always would put on these sort of ones that the class sort of rules uh, expert respect to that. And in the end, one of the things that came down, we, we adjourned that night because we had not made up our mind what way to go in respect of it. We finished the evidence, talked about it for quite a bit and decided, look, let's take a rest. We've been doing about six hours of hearings now. Um, let's go back and um, come back in the morning and have a talk about it. And overnight, um, thought about some things there and the next morning um, one of the things I said to the panel was that um, in the regulations uh, you select equipment um, and there's, the rules allow the substitute of equipment. Now one might say well that really means you can substitute a, a broken rudder or a broken centre blade or mast or whatever but in effect the way that we select the equipment and the regs linking in with the um, the rules it meant you could substitute the whole boat so that got us to that part we then had to deal with the question of these other matters and they were all subject to discretionary penalties and the facts that we looked at there were one has it been any performance relation in uh, due to this in other words have they benefited from the performance and none of those things and their decals etc were performance related we had discretionary penalties which allowed us to impose no penalty or whatever and so um, under our guidelines, et cetera, we could do that and we decided that no penalty was appropriate in the circumstances. Decision decided on the water and no, the best sailors won on the water and we were able to reach a decision that was compatible with that. Um, one of the things that occurred there was that um, Jesper Bank was the um, uh, <coughs> the advisor for um, the Danes and uh, he had already headed back to uh, to Denmark uh, after the protest hearing um, and it was going to the Court of Arbitration and Sport. So um, we had to fly to um, um, Beijing for a Court of Arbitration and Sport hearing um, and Jesper went back to Denmark and was given a ticket to go back to Beijing to, um, uh, for the hearing because we thought it was very important to have him there um, as a former gold medalist um, in case there was matters because the Danes really, they said, look, came and saw me and said, look, we don't know what to deal with this because we haven't been in the Court of Arbitration Sport before. And, and I said to them, it's hardly surprising, you know, most people haven't and that, and, um, you know, just look at the decision and, um, you know, we'll be the main ones that we're put, putting forward the, uh, the basis for our decision uh, but you and the appellants, et cetera, will have the opportunity of putting forward your views. So that was a, you know, a, a tough decision, but one that I was very pleased with the outcome that, um, you know, I thought fairness was um, uh, was there. Um, 
the America's Cup in um, 2013, um, the uh, one where we penalised Oracle for um, uh, two points for um, um, the lead-up events, um, mm-hmm. where there was the um, the lead found in the uh, or the weights the king found post. in the king post. Yep. Um, that was a, a difficult decision in the sense that it was a, a Rule 69 against a number of competitors. Um, the jury at that stage was the body that conducted um, the investigation as well. So uh, we had to have, um, which I appointed two of our panel members to do the main investigation on uh, on that. Um, these days, the rules are now different, whereby at the level of these sort of events, um, the higher level of the sport, um, Olympics, America's Cup, etc. there's an event disciplinary investigation officer. And so it's independent of the jury, and I think that's a, a real positive step. But I strongly opposed um, that applying to the majority of the sport because you can't have that at club level and that sort of thing. That's just um, not feasible and for world championships of most classes and that sort of thing. It's just an additional cost for um, organisers. But at the top level, um, that was appropriate. So we had that one there and then we had the question then of what penalty to Oracle, which is, was under a separate uh, paragraph in the protocol. And um, that uh, we penalised in the two run the two races, so they started at uh, effectively minus two. Um, one of the, the things that one's got to consider in these things is how do you penalise you know an America's Cup syndicate um, from a financial? We've got financial penalties we can give them. Um, we gave them a penalty of. I think it was 250,000 um, US, something like that uh, as well. Um, but there was a hearing that we did back at, um, in the previous cup that involved a vote that um, uh, and the, uh, the head of the syndicate came out and um, the press said to him, oh, I think we gave him a 10,000 euro fine or something like that. And um, he's, uh, the press said to him, you know, that was a, a you know, pretty tough penalty. And uh, he goes, Gelato money, gelato. <laughs> so you know, you've got to look at it in that sort of context. And this was what we viewed as a serious breach. And what are the at the end of the day, what are they out there for? Um, to win the uh, win the cup. Um, just like we penalise boats, you know, um, points in races and that sort of thing. So that's why we did that. And that's the first time that's happened in the America's Cup. Mm. Um, and you know, it's a matter of. What are they aiming to do? They're aiming to win the event. So give them a penalty relating to the event. Um, one of the things a lot of people wouldn't realise with those monies, what happens to them? Um, well, in that particular cup, um, the jury had a, um, a role whereby um, um, we panel, where we penalised financially, um, we could uh, give the funds to a charity. Um, oh. It's uh, So the first one we had, we penalised the team... Um, I think it was seventy-five or hundred thousand for not going to the Louis Vuitton ball. Um, there were issues related to that, and they decided to boycott the Louis Vuitton ball. So that was, you know, the fundamental sponsor for the event, and so that was mm. a significant issue um, not to be there. Um, so, in each of the cases from memory, um, we first of all we gave something like fifty percent to the um, mayor of uh, San Francisco's. Um, fund for underprivileged people. Um, so the, the city itself benefited um, from that. 
uh, we gave um, uh, a certain amount to the Bart Simpson um, um, charity, um, being a sailor and the America's Cup um, uh, involvement there. And the other one we gave, um, which is a funny story, um, I spoke to um, one of the race officials in San Francisco about um, what sort of a sailing type thing could we uh, we give funds to out of this. And uh, he mentioned um, uh, there was a yacht club called Treasure Island, I think from memory it yep. was, um, in the bay, which had a, a sailing um, uh, set up for underprivileged people, um, people with disabilities, etc. And uh, so we thought, yep, that's a good one. So um, he gave us the details and um, we uh, left a message for the um, uh, for them to contact us as we wanted their bank details to put in our uh, order. And we didn't hear anything for a couple of days. And so we went back to him and said, um, you know, look, we've been trying to get onto these people. And he said, oh, look, um, there's uh, a solicitor who I think is on the board. Um, uh, I'll contact him. And he contacted us and he said, yeah, we got the message, but um, no one's given us more than 5,000 before and uh, you're giving us 50 or 100,000. Um, uh, we got, thought it was a hoax. <laughs> so, I, um Jordan, your mind's definitely where mine is right now. And if this is to happen in the future, David, by all means, we can give you the bank details. No problem at all. But um, we've obviously passed the statute of limitations, so you might as well tell us who Sailor X is from 2012. (laughs) I've forgotten. No, I I actually know who it is, but no, that's fine. Uh, but um, maybe uh, we could. Sailor X, the um, uh, we heard the evidence in the case, and um, um, obviously with the Rule sixty nine, you uh, do the um, verdict charges based on uh, you know whether or not there's a uh, a prospect of um, finding that they were guilty. We heard the evidence and decided that um, uh, the evidence wasn't sufficient to uh, to penalise him, so um, uh, exonerated him. Well, given the current situation Julian Assange is in at the moment, I'm not going to start up my new webpage, Yachty Leaks, just yet. <laughs> but uh, I thought that could be a little side pre- project for us, David. <laughs> there was a lot of speculation as to who it was. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I've got to say, David, I was, um, I mean, we're basically out of time, uh, what we've asked you to provide for us. So, um, But I do want to say that, that 2008 one where you went to the whole process of who the actual sailor, you know, the best sailor to try and bring it back to that, you know, that's that's the sort of thing you want to hear as a sailor, I think, you know, like a fair-minded sailor. So um, I think that, that that's a brilliant outcome to what you did and how you went about that. So, uh, you know, that's the sort of thing that we love. Um, the uh, I think the – what was what did you call the officer, the investigation – Officer, what's event, it called? Event Disciplinary Investigation yes. Officer. Yes. Yeah, I, I believe Nick has spent quite a bit of time in front of <laughs> of those in the past. So just... That was the Disciplinary <laughs> Commission. <laughs> uh, um, close friends with them. Yeah. <laughs> um, anything else, Nick, before we have to sign off, my friend? No, not in, uh, in regards to any further questions, but... Look, David, just finally, well, what I'd like to say is we really appreciate you coming on. I know there's a lot of interest from around the world on particularly this side of things and the way you've explained it and how the sports admin thing works is, uh, yeah, it's great. So I want to thank you very much. 
pleasure. No, thank you for inviting me on. The, the last thing I have for you, David, is just around yourself because we know that, um, you know, your, your working career, I think this is, you know, in the last few years of your working career, what, what's next? Are you going to continue um, in the, this process or you, you're buying a boat and disappearing or what's the plan for Mr Tiller? I, I think I'll, I'll certainly be continuing through to 2024. Um, there's an event, a couple of events on in 2024 that uh, I may have some involvement have certain interest. <laughs> uh, with. Um, stay tuned for that. Um, and then, you know, I don't see any reason to uh, to stop. I'm, as I said, chairman of the Constitution Committee. Um, uh, I may look at continuing with that if they uh, they want me to. Um, it's uh, you know, I'm um, as long as I'm young and fit. Um, wouldn't mind doing a little bit more sailing. Mm. Thing. I'm not doing um, uh, international judge, international umpire events uh, anymore. It's um, um, I was always very much into bringing through younger people and uh, also bringing through women. And so, um, you know, I'm pleased to see that there's more and more of those. Um, you know, when I was racing rules, um, when I was involved with selecting the Olympic juries and so forth and things, um, encouraging you know, the younger people and the women to come through. So um, you know, that's um, happy to have moved on from there. But the you know, the arbitration panel, that keeps us busy um, um, and uh, probably will going forward. And, of course, we don't want to forget the um, Australian Yachting Championships in Port Lincoln in February that I'm sure we'll see you at, David. <laughs> Bit of a guest yeah. appearance. Might, jury, might, ju- chair of the jury. The, um, yeah. I'll pop over there for the wonderful oysters. And, um, Absolutely. It's, um, yeah, no, it's a fantastic spot, Port Lincoln. Um, they make you more welcome than, uh, than uh, any other event that I know. Um, you, Matt, that's why Matt Allen keeps on going back. Mm-hmm. And, um, loves it with uh, there, and hopefully we get a good turn up from, uh, from interstate. Absolutely. David. Thanks, David. Thanks for everything you've done for the sport, mate. And uh, you know, it's been it's been an honour. We've known you for such a long time, and growing up watching you, and and uh, yeah, it's uh, you're you're a good man. Thank you. Thanks, David. Awesome discussion, boys. Uh, BP, what do you think of that? Loved it. Loved every second of it. Um, I particularly <laughs> like the bit where uh, uh, who who was the guest? <laughs> Yeah, no, David Tillett. No, Dave Tillett. No, yeah. I know, I yeah. know. I'm sorry, guys. I, I I am here for the outro, but uh, yeah. I was sitting in the queue lounge and I was about to try and get the uh, the plane delayed, but unfortunately I didn't have the power to do uh, it. It was good, mate. Great discussion, Dave Tillett. Uh, great sailor and great man. Does so much. The altruistic element to, you know, putting so much mm. time over so many years into our sport. Mm-hmm. A lot of respect for the guy. Um and yeah. fair mind. You know what, you know what fellas, um, just recently in the hunt for a sailing ops manager for the Cruising Yacht Club of SA, mm-hmm. I've been chatting with a few of the other states, and uh, there's a lot of jobs in yachting from the sports admin point of view. Heaps. Um, and, I mean, sailing itself, to be on the water is one thing, mm-hmm. but to be part of the sports admin side is another thing as well. And David's just highlighted that completely mm. um so well if you're young budding doesn't well you don't have to be young but there are opportunities there yeah. to be to make sailing there's parties a chance to make a part career of your life. Is what you're trying to get yep. to yep basically yeah, yeah.
Very cool. Excellent. But uh, great interview. We, we loved it. Oh, we could have gone multiple interviews with that one, obviously. Mm. Um, but, yeah, there you go. Club events, boys. Good week this week. Good week. We'll call them club events just for the sake of getting them on the show. Um, yeah. Plenty on, in there? Yeah. 5.5 metre worlds, BP. You'd be fizzing about that, wouldn't you? Oh, look, just because, uh, you know, our – one John Bacon has gone over there. There's quite a – I think there's three or four boats from Australia that have gone over mm, and are competing. Bacon. So, um, What have they done uh, boat-wise? Send their boats or pick some up over there? I have to say that uh, they did send them over there, but they were having all sorts of bothers with shipping. Yeah, great time of bloody <laughs> life to start shipping stuff yeah. around. Well, they nearly didn't have it have it there. So, um, and, and the guy, and same with the guys from the, the Warrell a few weeks ago, you know, they were nearly yeah. borrowing boats to compete. yeah. yeah. Um, the uh, well, look, the five point fives. Uh, they're on in uh, on in Scandinavia in uh, Norway, yep. and so Hanko. that's where the Hanko, yes, and so that's good. It was apparently meant to be there in the twenty uh, last year, but uh, due to COVID, as we know, it was no postponed. Yep. So mm. it's now on this year. So I mean, it's it's always a cool class. I love the boats. They're they're a great great looking boat. And actually, having the privilege to sail them this year was fun. So yep. good luck to everyone over there. It yep. starts tomorrow. Yep, Norway, June 27th to July 5th at the Royal Norwegian Yacht Club, uh, the Evolution Cup, the Classic Cup, and the 5.5-metre World Champs. Should be a ton of fun. We know mm. a lot of people are going to be there, so, yep, very interested. Um, good luck to everyone competing. I had a look at the forecast. doesn't look like it'll be win from every, every part of the compass is what I'll say, is uh, what it looks like. Um. The other one that's on is the ORC uh, World Champs just at Port of Chervo. What a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine yeah horrible a place terrible for a bit of a yacht. Sailing. Yeah. <laughs> no, not going there again. Yeah. Never. <laughs> There's about 70 boats turning up, all different classes, three classes, uh, a long r- offshore race, a few inshore races, a short offshore race, a few inshore races, and everyone just having a shit time in Port of Chervo. Yeah, terrible <laughs> time. Horrible place to go. <laughs> If you've never been there, make the sure. listener can't see this, but I do have a wry smile. <laughs> <laughs> I have a wry smile as well, and I can't see Jordan. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what I think. I'm, I'd be happy anyway. It's all cool. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, awesome. ORC Worlds. Good. Good luck to everyone there. Jack Lloyd, listener of the week. We've got a couple of entries this week. Two really good ones, boys. Hard to mm. choose. Hard to choose. Um. Shall I I'll, – I guess I'll give you the Just spiel. Just give us a little rundown on who you've what got your on your thoughts list, are, Because, you know, what your thoughts are important. I, I'd like to – I'll bring in the first one. So Ella, Ella Boxall, I want to get this one out there because she wrote to us. We're sh- shit at responding because um, we get so many emails. <laughs> How do you really feel? <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're not great at responding. We get a ton of emails and, um, you know, we've got other stuff going on. But we do read every one of them. Um Except all the Australia Post ones. Um, <laughs> hi, guys. Oh, I've been ones. following you guys for a while and earlier this year would listen every Monday morning at the sale off the door. Why have you stopped? Honestly, love the podcast so much. I have found it keeps me passionate about sailing during periods of low sailing or lower confidence. I really enjoyed the most recent ep with Sci-Fi and enjoyed the one with Schaefer. Met him at St. Martin, and the first thing he said to me, do you listen to the Bar Karate podcast? Our number one fan, no question. Um, 
Uh, first thing he said to us. Well, up against Sean Wagner, of course. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. For the worlds. Now, this is worlds. What, I wanted to get this out. She's a 22-year-old sailor, a sailmaker, and hopefully data analyst from Hamble in the UK, planning to come to Sydney for Christmas and compete mm-hmm. in the Sydney to Hobart. Unfortunate part is she doesn't have great network in Australia, obviously in Europe, but not in Australia. Would you mind giving me some tips for getting a ride? Here we go. We'll put it out there. I've done six seasons of ORRC, including Fastnet, C600s, etc., etc. Done some cool deliveries on Maxis, Volvo 65s. Coming out early December and can stay after racing for deliveries back from Hobart oh, before she's flying. She's got herself home. a job. She'll find a job. So if you want her, all right, Ella Boxel, all right, not Boxhead, Ella Boxel. Sounds. One, Ella, thank you for the very kind words. Love it. Uh, we just put it out there. because Just reach out to us and we'll get in touch with her uh, or we'll put you together, all right? How's that for yeah. deal? Happy with that one, lads? Here, yeah, here. Yeah. Okay. Another Bravo, good one. Ella. Ella. Um, another good one, Jacob Birch. Birchie. Birchie. Jaco. Birchie. Jaco Birchie. JB. Uh, <laughs> Oh dear. Yeah, G'day, right. gents. Funny. In the throes of catching up on your back catalogue, you mentioned in episode 128 about the idea of sailing at each club on Sydney Harbour, I presume. Yeah, so from club to club. Bloody idea works. A couple oh, of ye- years yeah, about ago, that. the West Australian sports boat scene was disjointed and dying. So, over a few refreshments, naturally, a few owners started conspiring, and Brett Fannin, previous owner, ret- retuned. Led the charge on what we term the Sports Boat Opener Series on the Swan. Effectively, a rep from each club got Sports Boat Division added to opening day for all the different clubs. And over the space of about five weeks, we raced out of six clubs, bringing Bar Karate back to six different bars and creating a winner Mm. at the end. Love it. Great work. Great work. Even better, a little summation. What we created was a bunch of interest from people that had plenty of part-time races due to lack of club competition. Some stats. 34 boats nominated, worst attendance, nine boats, best attendance, 18. Refreshments traded between boats while racing, six. (laughs) Boats with muddy keels, three. Three. Vipers T-boned, one. One. Mate, you need a dinger in your super thing. (laughs) I reckon. Um, I'm going to say Jacob. I'm I'm nominating Jacob. Loved Ella's email, but uh, Jacob loved that. Uh, we got a million other emails, but they're the two that I grabbed this week. Any uh, any other disputes on that, boys? Or happy with that? No, I'm I'm pretty sure we're going to hear a bit more from Ella. Yeah, um, I think so. so she may be in the running for a merchandise pack a little later down the trick, mm. to the track rather. Jesus. But for the time being, Birchie, love it. You've got okay. it now. JK gets my vote. I like his. <laughs> I like his uh, stats. I think the, uh, the the fact that there's been a few muddy kills and a couple of t bones. Love, love it. it. <laughs> love it. Cool. All right. Um, so yeah, on fire. Ole, 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 ole. Hot, hot, hot. It's hot time <laughs> with bikes. <laughs> you know, BP, if we Woo! ever have a segment for you, we're just going to use that BP sledge <laughs> the whole time, you know. <laughs> Don't know what you did. Thanks for being on the boat, Brett. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Gents, I know, BP, you've been um, launching your second X2 to hit the water. Yep. So the second sexiest boat has just been launched. Got any idea what it is, boys? Mm-hmm. 
Mm. Oh, is it that? Um, was it the eighty meter? Mm. The eighty um, Persico mm. just launched mm. the oh the Persico uh, the, the Swan eighty, Swan 80. Swan 80. Yes. the new My Song. Yes. Oh yes. Oh, yeah. is it? I didn't know it was the what, new My it, Song. Yes, I saw this that. This is a definite ball tightener, gents. Mm. You've got to check it out. Go, um, I mean, it's all over the book and all the other social feeds, but check this boat out, how nice it looks. Mm, oh, Just looks the right sizing as well. And something of interest to me is the um, obviously the workmanship in it. So there's a whole heap of interior photos and stuff and then of lifting kills and it's got a whole heap of hydraulics and stuff, but just beautiful workmanship, the whole thing. So... Listeners, get out there, search it up, have a look, and this is the exactly what boat building's all about. It's just a beautiful looking craft, and the lines are sensational. Second best boat compared, obviously, um, to your little vessel, <laughs> BP. And while we're on it, just give us a little uh, update if you could. Oh, mate, uh, it's been a uh, a flat out couple of months with the one and two um, being launched on the water and um, thanks for asking but uh, it's yeah it's and it's, selling some more BP yeah it's it look You're on fire just at the clubs uh, when we put the boat in the club the first day in Alameda which is in San Francisco where it's where it's living um, it just stands out like the proverbials it, dogs uh, balls, BP. Yeah. Dogs balls. <laughs> dogs balls. <laughs> it just stands out, and um, it's got such a good response. And uh, you know, we have yeah, actually, we we have sold another one, so um, we're looking we're looking good um, to to sort of you know make a bit of a make a bit of a stance. The boat is sailing above expectations, which is what I like. I like having a nice base, and then we can move forward. Um, once the you know guys and girls got hold of it, they can start doing their own thing with it a bit, you know, in terms of tuning and going, you know, working out how to sail it. But I actually had more time on this boat than I had on number one and mm. uh, spent, I spent uh, hours with, with the owner, uh, Jack Pirac, in, uh, in San Francisco and actually just different modes and mm. tried different things and, and uh, the owner's got a massive smile. So we're yeah. really happy. Bravo, Jacko. Good mm. choice. Good on Good you, choice. Jack. Just, yeah. just so you know, BP. At the start of this episode, Bicey described you as being head down, bum up in San Francisco. So just so you yeah. know, <laughs> in more ways than one. <laughs> oh, that's all. Well, get older, you. you mate. You have you have no idea. Every boat's got a rainbow flag on it. Oh, good, 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 good. good. <laughs> bring back the rainbow. Yeah, um, bring back the rainbow. Radio gents, next on the list: TP Fifty Two Wells. Oh, Sailed out of Cash Guys. Did you, did you oh. take much note on this one? Well, I love Cash Guys. I saw a photo. I saw a photo. Love the mm. spot. It's a great place to be. Go, do yourself a favour, listeners, if you've never been to Cash Cash and go on sailing off there, do it. You miss it. Get there. Out. And Give whilst you're there, go to Don Manolo's. Don Manolo's. Yeah. Don Manolo. <laughs> Don. <laughs> and if you're a surfer, head up the coast just to wait here. The here best and away. chicken in town. The best Let me barbecue tell you. chicken in town. What was that? <laughs> it, I'll, I'll tell you this, listeners. So <laughs> I serve beer there. The, the boatyard for the Volvo Ocean Race, we, we had two offices, one in Alicante and, of course, the, the facility in Portugal. And every week at about three in the morning, the phone would ring and all you'd hear is, Don Manolo. Manolo. <laughs> Somebody drunk. <But> this way. <laughs> Coxie and I ate there eight times in seven days. <laughs> <laughs> we did a double one day, lunch and dinner. <laughs> Was that a whole chicken or what? Oh, well, you know. had half a chicken per oh, serve, so yeah. A whole chicken. It was they a should, whole chicken day. 
and about old, three thousand beers. Old Dom was um, looking like he was on his last legs a few years ago. We better check in to see if he's still around. Hey guys, we're bloody talking about a boat boat race here. Oh, sorry, TP fifty two world champ. Yes, uh, Quantum yes, takes quantum. it out. They've uh, kind of stuck to their winning ways to on all the even years of. 2014, 16, 18, now 22, they've won the world oh, championship. I like your analogy. Um, I like that. So, mm. well done to them. They've been a huge, huge part of obviously the TPs for yes, many, absolutely. many years. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they took that out with it. They had a three point lead coming into the last day. And um, yeah, well done to Quantum Platoon second, Allegro third. That's so. The, isn't that the first time they've actually won the worlds with? Doug DeVos, DD. Steering. DDV steering. Correct. Fantastic. Doug DeV. Yeah. Dougal DeVos. Doug will be in a good mood. Amway shares are going up. (laughs) Buy in. No, you should have bought in before the regatta. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, good boats, good fun, good spot, great times. Dominola. Dominola, you got to check it out. Um, is chicken. And then finally, this is more comment. Definitely not comment for cash, though, this one. Um, going back to my our last discussion about the etchels last oh. week, about cutting from shear to shear, mm-hmm. um, and I believe we've had a bit of banter about it during it's the week. Been a bit uh, of banter, yep. Yeah, you know, the adjustable rocker etchel, et cetera. <laughs> and, uh, Just on the fourth day a bit. I think I kind <laughs> of jumped the gun a little bit. Oh, have last you? week, oh, just saying, saying what a disaster it is. Yeah. Reality is, boat sale. building's boat building. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's, it is quite an easy thing. And if it brings the mole 11s into, call it, regardless of what you think, if everyone's going to be happy, this being the change, it's a pretty easy thing to do, despite the money it costs. But if you've got a 150 grand boat and costs you 15 grand, well, whatever. Well. It's it, part of the... Part of the game, um, and sounds like the, the reason. The reason I say on the reason I, the reason I say this is <laughs> I was just thinking about like back to America's Cup boats back in the day on the version fives, you could adjust a boat up to forty eight percent or whatever that meant. Yeah. So you were cutting and shutting those things like crazy. So mm. um, I doubt they're going to fall apart when you leave Sydney Heads, <laughs> but um, regardless, oh. It'll tear your sack right in half the first time you put the skill saw from shear to shear, though. Yeah. Uh, but the funny way you described it was about the uh, the dot points of how to do it. You know, yeah. like, so there's, you could just imagine an owner with a with a with the A4 bit of paper going, okay. <laughs> well, that's all you need. You don't need much more than the A4 <laughs> bit of paper. One, get it. You probably saw and cut from here to here. Oh. Probably fit on some wet notes. <laughs> so, so during the week, I was sitting there thinking about it, and here's my this was my idea. The adjustable rocket. So what you do is you make the cuts, right, and then you, you put just a couple of – Put a neoprene in there. Put a neoprene yeah. in there <laughs> and a few bolt screws, right, <laughs> and you just wind the rocker in depending on what the conditions are. And, you know, mm-hmm. like you have it on the, the – um, you have it on the console, so it's just an adjustable. Like you can just tune mm. – yeah, that's the next step for the – uh, more virtual. more jib Cunningham or more rocker? <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry but, about the backstay. <laughs> our mate Sean Wagner, who's probably uh, fan number yeah, he, two, of yeah, he saw it, Brewery, yeah. He sent in the photo of the modular etcher where you just it just breaks oh. down into pieces. Break it down, chuck it in the back of the car. Yeah. Hold it in when the thirds. Hold it in the thirds and put it in the back of your car. You don't need some giant tow rig. You just 
boom, 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 stack it in the boot and off you go. You're off to the- Bow section, middle section and (laughs) and stern section, put the mast on the Uh, roof, off you go. uh, Anyway. And then finally, gents, can't go without mentioning the uh, boxing kangaroo flag is raised again out of Chicago for the sale Mm. GP. Yes. Um, Mm. Another fantastic production. Yes. Fantastic production. Yeah, it was good, wasn't it? It Most was enjoyable. good. Yes. Very enjoyable. Great location. Oh. Great location. Oh, perfect location. Can't believe they're going to find, these, they're gonna find well. these They're going to find these places, aren't they? I mean, oh, yeah, keep going back. I didn't sure. go. Yeah. 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 No, mm. I, I, I let the team it. down. I should have, shouldn't I? I'm starting to sound a bit egotistical there. Didn't go, didn't go. Just tell me to mm. shut up, idiot. But yeah, pull your head in. Yeah. Oh, that would take a long time. <laughs> <laughs> And where would you pull it into? <laughs> uh, no, it, uh, they did a great job. Uh, it was pretty unexpected, though. That that at the end, that result, I could have. I can't believe the Kiwis sort of just they just they, had a bad they, start. They, it's all about not, starts. You're not going to say they folded, but they had a bad one right at the wrong time, didn't mm. they? Mm. Yeah, but hey, listen, but hey, that's, that's what it's all about. Yeah, it and really as we about. spoke to David about. Mm. Um, and you would, of yes, course, you did, remember yeah. that. Uh, yes, Brett. I did. I do, yes. <laughs> you know, and that's what the fans want, just down to the last race. Mm. You know, I agree. Yeah. So, well, yeah, anyway. Any, anyways, uh, but um, of course, highlight, what about, what about, of, highlight yeah. of the Sail GP is, of course, the Canadianese. Canadian, yeah. the Japanadians. Yeah. The Canadian. The North Canadians. Australians. <laughs> the Northern <laughs> Australians. Um, Unreal. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah, no, super Second. Cool. Unreal. Well done. Unreal to Phil team. and his team. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, unreal. Unreal performance. I don't think anyone would um, feel bad for them at all. Like it was just I unreal. I think the biggest, the, the coolest thing about that weekend was going out and winning the first race. I mean, that must have been a rush for the team. Shows you yeah. um, how good uh, Phil's starting at the moment. You know, like they keep, they've got their speed in the boat, right? So they've got the speed, but they're just, just gnarling their starts. Did he? Where did he get that? Did he oh, we did that joke. Tips. We've done that joke. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was not going there. Um, Why not? But yeah, that, it's just the starts, and he probably was the best starter of the whole weekend. I, I would suggest when you look at it. But anyway, it, the good thing about Sail GP, it looks like it's got legs. Hey, the only thing I'm worried about is Team Japan. Well, we haven't heard any news on sponsors. Mm. So if you're looking to sponsor one of the teams, yep. be involved. Team Japan, yep. jump on board. We've got to save Team Japan. I the, I concur. The East Australian team. Mate, you're selling enough boats, BP. I reckon you could just sponsor it. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> Give it a crack. Uh, yeah. Hey, um, boys, should is that you, boys? Yeah, I'm done. Yep. Um, we, we had a couple of races in the UK uh, recently, the mm-hmm. Round Island race and the Round Island race. Yes. <laughs> Round Island or Square Island? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ireland um, Square, the Round Ireland, Ireland, and the Around Ireland, yeah, that's be eleven dollars for the Ireland, around the Ireland, right? No, well, yeah, okay, okay. So, Round Ireland, uh, what about sixty yeah. something boats? Been going, it goes every second year. Full lap of the island looked pretty tough this year. Uh, lots of bashing into the wind. Um, now, I wanted to draw your attention to this, boys. The uh, the winners on IRC overall was uh, Fast Wave, a boat called Fast Wave. Mm-hmm. Um, let me just tell you what Fast Wave is, if I can find the stupid thing. All right, Fast Wave. 
is a J111. Oh, okay. oh yeah. Yeah. Second. Good performance. Second was Snapshot. Where's my boat gone? Where's my list gone? Oh, come back. Oh, no. It's a J99, I think, and then Artful Ooh. Dodger, another J. It was J, J, J. One, two, three. No JPKs, but Js. So I thought all the Js. I thought all that the was Js interesting. Yeah, uh, line honors was just um, Cooker three, Cooker three. Anyway, so that was the that was one, but much much more important. The round the island race boys. Guess who won overall again? Twelve hundred bucks. No, no. No, remember JPK. about a year ago, last year when it happened, we talked about Eeyore, the little, the little oh, yes. eighteen footer bilge keel thing. You remember that? Yeah, Al- yeah. Alacrity eighteen or whatever it was. Didn't it? Did it won oh. again? <laughs> Park karate curse. <laughs> the Park karate curse. How good are they? They must be unreal. Oh, come on the show if you want to win races. Yeah. We didn't get them on the show though, but um, no, but we talked about them. Yeah, they've all got. Yeah, there's a lot. Let's just say there's a lot of wisdom on that boat. Three crew, and they definitely have some wisdom. But they, they must be just. I think it's the third time they've won it, but back to back in twelve hundred boat fleet. Wow! Wow! <laughs> That's a big effort. That's a big effort. Um, I think it was pretty windy too. So yeah, good work, team. Far out, hey. Um, bloody, bloody awesome! Bloody awesome! Uh, the other one we need to uh, less no humour on this one, yep, at no. all. We do have to mention that um, in the Newport to Bermuda race, Bermuda, we mm-hmm. have lost a sailor, which is always devastating. Uh, so, condolences to the family of Colin Golder, um, a New Jersey-based sailor. He was steering his boat um, in strong winds about 325 miles off Bermuda, and in the news report it says he fell overboard, and that's the detail. After extended effort, Mr Golder's body was recovered by the vessel's crew and the vessel's returned to the mainland. We have had some correspondence on this, and so it's nothing's official, but we have had a discussion where the the discussion was that he was washed off the back of the boat, mm-hmm. and then the... There was no no proper technique for getting him back on. They weren't quite sure how to get him back on. Um, so I thought we should discuss this, boys. I just wanted to throw some ideas out there. If one of your crew goes overboard, what's the process? What do we reckon the process is? First, we stop the boat because he's late, late. He's on. He's he was. Well, there are some protocols mm-hmm. that I know some boats do go into yeah. and depending on the size of your boat, that, that does change mm-hmm. and that may or may not include a swimmer mm-hmm. and a harness to halyard, get them back on board with the halyard I agree. if they're conscious. Yep. I mean, it's a whole different story if they're unconscious because yep. it's a lot different, a lot harder to deal with. But And, of course, depending on the conditions you have to be extremely wary of putting a swimmer in the water. Yep. Um, because well, you're going to put back to a, our other people Schaefer, in danger right? as well. Yep. So Schaefer's yeah. thing, that, that's important, a couple of episodes ago. Um, yeah, Excuse absolutely. Me. And I think as we spoke about with John, it's going to be differ to every boat. If it's Correct. the 30-footer to 100-footer, 
you um, have to have your own protocols. I think you can add to, to it's going to differ with every every different condition as well. Mm. It's like a, okay. yeah, I don't think so. Here's my theory: practice, hundred percent practice. Yep. Do not go out and do an ocean race without having your crew having an agreed plan on how to recover someone back on board. Um, yep. Practice. Know where your safety equipment is. Know how to use your safety equipment, you know, and then know how to get someone on board. Know what you're going to do. We, we, um, uh, Bossy and I were involved with a product that's a life-saving device that's sort of got you – know, COVID's killed it and there's all sorts of crap going on. But we have been doing some consultancy work and we may have come up with the, the best man overboard idea in the history of the world. And it's a consultancy thing, um, but we're, we're got to keep it secret until it comes out. But when it does come out, we'll tell you. But we, you know, we potentially and are, we are potentially genius. Could you do it on the show so that I don't know and... Oh, yeah, of course, yeah, I, of course. No, I, but I, just to keep our egos intact, it's probably the second best, second best idea yeah, no. because the best idea hasn't, hasn't been made been up yet. Yeah, <laughs> <that's right. laughs> but no, it's uh, definitely we've come up with an idea that could really make a hell of a difference. But just the the thing from a safety perspective is that um, just practice it. You know, know what you're going to do. Oh, yeah, we don't want to lose people. It's scary, isn't yeah. it? Because it's a dangerous sport. We do a dangerous sport. And by all means, it. this is not taking anything away from the boat during, during the Newport Bermuda. Yes, correct. But, That's um, absolutely correct. Because uh, no but one was, as far as awareness there. is concerned, yep. like it is a flag now and people, this is a serious subject, serious matter. So. Yeah. Mm, and I think I think we, we should bounce back onto the John Schaefer situation and, and everyone have a little, have a serious Look at that uh, particular pro- episode we did, and have a think about it because um, it it happens. It happens when you least expect it, and that's the thing. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's the thing. And um, it's not that you don't expect it happening. You've got to be prepared for it. And I, I don't. I just think that in the in the past we've ne- we've just been lax about it. Full stop. Anyway. Mm. Obviously, you've been there. You've done mm. it. I mean, you know, yeah. without going into depth about that situation, but. We've all had a situation at sea and it happens when you least expect it. Yep. Be prepared. Correct. So, yeah, we we want, you know, Barkerati exists to get as many people into sailing as possible. Let's make it exist for keeping as many people alive as possible as well. So no criticism extended to any of the members of that crew. We're not criticising anyone. We're just trying to have a discussion and bring thought forward on people's ideas. So that's that's the whole gist of it. So, um, yep. yeah. That's that's what all I want to say. Um, mm. okay. um, Good, cool. Uh, BP, you're all fired up. I, I know I'm fired up. One of the guests that we've had on the show, uh, the Barkerati curse continues to reap success. Um, Mara Stransky, oh, in Kill Week. We're, well, I mean, hasn't Kill happened week. yet. Hey? Hasn't happened yet. Hasn't happened yet. According yeah. to the. The results, or she's got another day or something, hasn't she? To go? Yeah. Or? Well, there's a lot of. I mean. Uh, we're just pumping up Mara because we, we're very close to Mara. She's, uh, she lives not too far away. Uh, Mara and her family, great people, um, and she's leading at Kill Week, which if she wins, she's got the gold. She's got a 14-point lead. She's a young lass. She, um, she's coming to the front of the fleet. She looks like she's going to be – she's third ranked in the world at the moment in the laser Ilka Sixes. And there's no question that it's a confidence thing, this game, at that level, and uh, this is doing wonders for that as she heads towards her – Prime goal, obviously, being the Olympics. Yeah. Um, it puts her in a good position 
to get out on the on the race course every day and have people, you know, wondering where she is because uh, you know that's that's a good thing. So um, and she's working hard, man. I mean, I see her down at uh, down at the uh, Middle Harbour working hard. So she's she deserves every second. Everything she gets. The the other thing, just because we're Australian and biased, uh, the whole Australian Ilka Laser team made the this final. This is true. The final yeah. race. So we, we can't. It's not just Mara. It's the whole team. So um, yeah, great. Um, care to give us an update on the fivos, Jordan? Yes, please. Oh uh, well, what with ahead of the world? No, well the, the five point five. The five oh. Oh, I haven't looked. I haven't looked. I haven't looked. <laughs> but basically, it's probably Mike Holt. Uh, and Rob Wolf, <laughs> Wolfgang Hunger. Uh, uh, yeah, Holty's on fire at the moment. It's he's unbackable yeah. favourite for the world, so I'd suggest. But uh, just going to lose money if you put it on him, right? Yeah. Well, and I'll be over there. I'll just share. You know what could cost him the worlds? You. Yes. You. <laughs> <laughs> clearly, clearly, got to get him on whilst you're over there, though. No, we'll get him on just sure before. That he's covered by the curse. Yeah, we'll get him on just before. But yeah, Holty will probably steer clear. I'll get over there and I'll go, hey, Holty, let's go for a beer. Oh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Focusing. Uh, yeah. Anything else, lads? Uh, it's about no. me, I reckon, gentlemen. Mm. Yep, you've got to get off and watch the last quarter of the game. Um, mm-hmm. I've got to go and have dinner with my wife and then uh, that's how it is. Awesome. All right. Great. Great Beauty. to hang out. And, uh, yeah, plenty on. Great. Thank, thanks for letting yeah. me in for the last part of the show. Yes. Well, we got you in especially for the guitar. So <laughs> yeah, well, that's it, break out the guitar, All right, BP, and shut okay. it down. Just let me know where I'm starting from, Jay. <laughs> Out in the middle, mate. See you later. See everyone. Thanks for listening. He, he can sink and talk at the same time. I know. <laughs> Freaking amazing. You ever tried to do that?